0: choice and change. The sequence from Beratius 37 to 50 is the longest unbroken narrative in the Torah, and there can be no doubt who its hero is, Joseph. The story begins and ends with him. We see him as a child beloved, even spoiled by his father, as an adolescent dreamer, resented by his brothers, as a slave, then a prisoner in Egypt, then as the second most powerful figure in the greatest empire of the ancient world. At every stage, the narrative revolves around him and his impact on others. He dominates the last third of Boracius, casting his shadow on everything else. From almost the beginning, he seems destined for greatness. Yet history didn't turn out that way. To the contrary, it was another brother who, in the fullness of time, left his mark on the Jewish people. Indeed, we bear his name. The covenantal family has been known by several names. One is Ivry, Hebrew, possibly related to the ancient Abiru, meaning outsider, stranger, nomad, one who wanders from place to place. That's how Abraham and his children were known to others. The second is Yisrael, derived from Jacob's new name after he wrestled with God and with man and prevailed. After the division of the kingdom and the conquest of the north by the Assyrians, however, they became known as Yehudim, or Jews, because it was the tribe of Judah who dominated the kingdom of the south, and they who survived the Babylonian exile. So it wasn't Joseph, but Judah, who conferred his identity on the people. Judah, who became the ancestor of Israel's greatest king, David, Judah from whom The Messiah will be born. So why Judah, not Joseph? The answer undoubtedly lies at the beginning of Vayigash, as the two brothers confront one another and Judah pleads for Benjamin's release. Mm -hmm. The clue lies many chapters back at the beginning of the Joseph story, because it's there we find that it was Judah himself who proposed selling Joseph into slavery. Judah said to his brothers, "Mab'etzah, what will we gain? If we kill our brother and cover his blood, let's sell him to the Arabs, not harm him with our own hands. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and bro- blood. His brothers agreed. This is a speech of monstrous callousness. There is no word about the evil of murder, merely pragmatic calculation. What will we gain? At the very moment he calls Joseph our own flesh and blood, He proposes selling him as a slave. Judah has none of the tragic nobility of Reuven, who alone of the brothers saw what they were doing and saw that it was wrong and made an attempt to save him, even if it failed. At that point, Judah is the last person from whom we expect great things. However, Judah, more than anyone else in the Torah, changes. The man we see all these years later, is not what he was then. Then he was prepared to see his brother sold into slavery. Now he is prepared to suffer that fate himself rather than see Benjamin held as a slave. As he says to Joseph, Now, my lord, let me remain in place of the boy as your lordship's slave and let him go with his brothers. How can I return to my father without the boy? I couldn't bear to see the misery which my father would suffer. It's the precise reversal of character. Callousness has been replaced with concern. Indifference to his brother's fate has been transformed into courage on his behalf. He's willing to suffer what he once inflicted on Joseph so that the same fate should not befall Benjamin. At this point, Joseph reveals his identity. We know why Judah has passed the test that Joseph so carefully constructed for him. Joseph wanted to know if Judah had changed, and he had. This is a highly significant moment in the history of the human spirit. Judah is the first penitent, the first bal tshuva in the Torah. Where did it come from, this change in his character? For that, we have to backtrack to chapter 38, the story of Tamar. Tamar, we recall, had married Judah's two eldest sons, Aaron or Nun, both of whom died, leaving her a childless widow. Judah, fearing that his third son would share their fate, withheld him from her, thus leaving her an aguna, unable to remarry and have children. Once she understood her situation, Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute. Judah slept with her, she became pregnant. Judah, unaware of the disguise, concluded that she must have had a forbidden relationship and orders her to be put to death. At that point, Tamar, who, while disguised, had taken Judah's seal, cord and staff as a pledge, sent them to Judah with a message, the father of my child is the man to whom these belong. Judah then understood the whole story. Not only had he placed Tamar in an impossible situation of living widowhood, and not only was it he himself who was the father of her child, but he also realizes that she has behaved with extraordinary discretion in revealing the truth to him without putting him to shame. And in fact, it's from this act of Tamar that we derive the rule that you should rather throw yourself into a fiery furnace than shame someone else in public. Tamar is the heroine of the story, but it has one significant consequence. Judah admits he was wrong. Tzadka mimeni, he says. She was more righteous than I am. This is the first time in the Torah somebody acknowledges their own guilt. It's also the turning point in Judah's life. Here is born that ability to recognize your own wrongdoing, to feel remorse and to change that whole complex Phenomenon known as tshuva that later leads to the great scene in Vayigash where Judah is capable of turning his earlier behavior on its head and doing the opposite of what he had once done before. Judah is ish Chuva penitential man, or let's just be less sexist about it, penitential person. We now understand the significance of his name. The verb lohodot means two things. It means to thank, which is what Leah had in mind when she gave birth to Judah, her fourth son, and called him Judah, saying, this time I will thank the Lord. However, it also means to admit, to acknowledge. The biblical term vidui, confession. Then and now, part of the process of tshuva, and according to Maimonides, its key element comes from the same root. Judah means he who acknowledged his sin. We also now understand one of the fundamental axioms of tshuva. Rabbi Abahu said, brachus," that in the place where penitents stand, even the perfectly righteous cannot stand. And his proof text is a verse from Isaiah: "Shalom shalom la'achok v'la'karov." Peace, peace to him that was far away, and to him that is near. The verse puts one who was far away ahead of one who is near. As the Talmud makes clear, however, Rabbi Abahu's reading is by no means uncontroversial. Rabbi Yochanan interprets far as far from sin rather than far from God. The real proof is Judah. Judah is a penitent, the first in the Torah. Joseph is consistently known to tradition as Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph the Righteous. But now look what happened to them. Joseph became Mishneh Lamelech second to the king, to Pharaoh. Judah, however, became the father of Israel's kings. Where the penitent Judah stands, even the perfectly righteous Joseph cannot stand. Judah stands for royalty, Joseph for deputy to or second to royalty. However great an individual may be in virtue of his or her natural character, greater still is one who is capable of growth and change that is the power of penitence and it began with judah shabbat shalom but now look what happened to them joseph became mishneh lamelech second to the king to pharaoh judah however became the father of israel's kings where the penitent Judah stands Even the perfectly righteous Joseph cannot stand. Judah stands for royalty, Joseph for deputy to or second to royalty. However great an individual may be in virtue of his or her natural character, greater still is one who is capable of growth and change. That is the power of penitence, and it began with Judah. Shabbat Shalom.